Uh, thanks, Brother Johnny and uh, Stephanie. Appreciate that. Uh, let's go in our Bibles to Revelation 14. Revelation 14. Last book of the Bible. And uh, it is the, uh, the book that, that, that shows us what things are going to be like as, as things uh, wind down before... Um, For the coming back of the Lord, and uh, it's interesting that we see here that God's heart for people doesn't change, and He continues to have the same burden uh, here uh, towards the end as what He had in the beginning of things as related to mankind. And it says here in Revelation chapter 14, uh, verse 6, it says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on earth, on the earth. And uh, so uh, the Bible talks about three heavens. It talks about the, 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 the immediate atmosphere of earth. It talks about uh, the, the universe as the heavens, declaring the glory of God and the galaxies and so on. And then the third heaven, that which he, the place that he's created for those that he has a relationship with to dwell in for, forever. And this year we'll be talking about, uh, we can see here, the, the first heaven because um, it, it says there to, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. So in other words, there's going to be a time where you have this, this, this angel that's, that's circling the earth. And this angel is going to be, be preaching there, it says, a, a particular message. A very specific message. And the message is this. It describes it as being the everlasting gospel. The everlasting gospel. The everlasting good news. And uh, we know that not, not all news is created equal, right? And even good news, even accurate news, may not be enduring news. You know, you might get a good report, say, on your health, for example, today, but that probably isn't going to last for a real long time. I mean, ultimately, something gets all of us, right? And uh, and so, praise the Lord if there's a good if there's a good report uh, health-wise, but that's probably going to be a temporary thing. But here, it talks about the gospel, which is good news, and it says that this good news is what? It's everlasting. It's a message that is enduring. And uh, that's kind of the title of the, the message I hear this morning is the enduring message, the enduring message. And uh, we, we talked, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit and even sung about that, which is old fashioned. But, you know, really, God's message transcends fashion. It's not subject to fashion. You know, the gospel isn't old fashioned. It's just it's everlasting. <laughs> right. It's not something we look at and say, well, you know, that's kind of gone out of style, but I still stick with it. You know, it has nothing to do with style. It has nothing to do with, you know, with the fashions of mankind. You know, the fashions of mankind, uh, you know, just a, just a, a, a cursory, um, you know, look at, at, at history will tell you that, that, that man's fashions, they, they go all over the place, right? They're, they're, they're fleeting. They're whimsical. They're flighty. They're fickle. They're faddish. You know, everyone seems to love the flavor of the moment, right? The flavor of the day. Let's get all excited about the flavor of the day. And then, that, you know, the flavor changes the next day. And then we've got to catch up with that. 
And who can even keep up with all the, 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 you know, the flighty fashions of mankind, right? But you know, the gospel transcends all of that. The gospel is not subject to any of that. The gospel is enduring. That which this angel was preaching here is said to be the everlasting uh, gospel. And, you know, uh, 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 man, people, they've come up with, would you agree with me, they've come up with some really bad ideas when it comes to fashion in the past? Would you agree with me on that? I don't know, like, you know, I don't want to invoke any, you know, disturbing images here, but like back in the 80s, they had these little, they had these mesh shirts that came down to your midriff, you know, for, for guys, for guys, you know, and I, was, I look back at that now, what, what, what were they thinking? You know, like, why on earth would a guy ever want to wear that? If you're wearing one today, uh, I apologize. Uh, but, uh, you know, so it, it's just like over time, you know, there's been a lot of crazy, I mean, go back a little further, those powdered wigs that used to wear. You know, these guys are like these little curly, you know, powdered, you know, fake hair they'd put on. And I was looking at that, I was like, like, why? And I'm sure there was a good reason for it at the time. Why aren't you guys glad today that that's kind of passed, you know? And uh, I saw Brother Boynton, he had the hat on that would go with the, with, the, with the wig, but you didn't go with the wig. You didn't go with the full-fledged authentic uh, 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 there. Maybe next year? No? Okay. Like, never? All right. I'm with you on that, brother. Probably my, you know, my outfit would probably go with a little bit with something like that, too. And, you know, I'm just not interested in that. And you can probably think of fashions that, uh, hey, we had the, uh, I don't know if they're still, maybe they're downstairs now, but they were the, uh, what were they called? The, the, not the Grim Reapers, the, uh, the, plague, the plague doctors. Did you see the ones with the, with the beaks here this morning? I haven't even saw them when they were, they were up here a little, little while ago. That was like all the, you know, the fashion at one time for these, you know, these doctors to go out in the plagues with these, these uh, yeah, you know, the, these kind of these garish-looking uh, outfits on. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's like we don't do that anymore, you know. Doctors don't dress that way anymore. Um, and, and, and who knows? There's, there's, there's all kinds of things that are kind of come and gone. And mankind, you know, the, the, their philosophies are kind of like that too. I mean, the latest, you know, the latest philosophy, the latest blogger, the latest podcast, the latest uh, thing to, to talk about and to theorize about. But the Bible says that God's message, I'm going to kill myself in this step one of these times. Um, God's message is enduring. God's message is forever. God's message goes beyond any of that. And uh, that's what I want to talk about uh, uh, this morning. And, uh, you know, God had a plan. And his message was consistent. And, uh, you know, people say, well, you know, uh, uh, Jesus is just in the New Testament. No, you know that Jesus is the, the main character of all the Bible? He's the main character of all the Bible. We're going to look at some specific verses here, but let me just, uh, um, uh, just give you the, this, this list here. And this will take a little bit, but just enjoy this. Just enjoy the truth of the fact that the Bible is consistent, that the Bible, its message is clear, it is enduring, and Jesus was the main character all along. Not everybody recognized it at the time, but he was. And so in Genesis, we have uh, Jesus as the creator. Jesus as the, the seed of the woman. We'll talk a little more about that in a couple minutes. And, and Jesus pictured by the Ark of Salvation. In Exodus, the Passover lamb, deliverer, high priest. In Leviticus, high priest, sacrifice, the way to approach God. Numbers, the pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, the tabernacle, the smitten rock, the star out of Jacob. Deuteronomy, the prophet like Moses, the lawgiver. Joshua, captain of our salvation, victorious leader. Judges, the judge, lawgiver, and deliverer. And Ruth, he's pictured as the kinsman redeemer, the lover, the protector. In 1 Samuel, anointed prophet and priest. 2 Samuel, son of David, greater than David. 
In 1 Kings, only perfect king, 2 Kings, the perfect king, the man of God, the word of God. In 1 Chronicles, the reigning king, 2 Chronicles, the perfect king, priest and prophet. In Ezra, he's pictured as the faithful scribe, the builder, the restorer of the church. Nehemiah, the rebuilder of the broken walls, the governor of the church, the restorer and protector. In Esther, uh, our Mordecai, our advocate, uh, advocate as it were. In Job, ever-living redeemer. We're going to talk about that one a little more as well. In Psalms, our shepherd, all in all, beloved of God, our rock. In Proverbs, the wisdom, the personification of the wisdom of God. Ecclesiastes, the wisdom of God, the preacher, the son of David. Song of Solomon, the perfect lover and bridegroom, the king of peace. In Isaiah, the Messiah, the Holy One. Jeremiah, righteous branch. Lamentations, man of sorrow, weeping prophet. Ezekiel, and this is, a, this is one you could study out. Four-faced man and the wheel. You say, what is that? Well, study the book of Ezekiel. The picture is there. Uh, and Daniel, the fourth man in the fiery furnace. And Hosea, patient bridegroom. Joel, the baptizer with the Holy Spirit, deliverer, judge. Amos, the burden bearer, heavenly bridegroom, judge. Obadiah, savior, judge, executor of divine retribution. Jonah, one greater than Jonah, foreign missionary. Micah, messenger with, a beautiful, with beautiful feet. Nahum, avenger, stronghold in the day of trouble. And aren't these great? These are all Jesus uh, in the Old Testament. Habakkuk, God of my salvation. Zephaniah, Lord mighty to save. Haggai, uh, prophet, priest, and king. Zechariah, righteous branch. Malachi, son of righteousness. That's just the Old Testament. Not even getting into the New Testament and everything that's described with Jesus Christ there. Uh, what a wonderful word of God that we have. And what a wonderful, uh, enduring uh, message. And... Uh, and, and so let's look at some things in regards to what the Bible says about the enduring message today. Well, the first thing, uh, we go all the way back to the, to the book of Genesis. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Genesis 3, verse 7, and this old, old story, this enduring story, this everlasting gospel, it's all through the Bible. It is a story that is relevant for all, all uh, 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 generations, for all days, for all mankind in every place. The Bible says one day before the Lord, there's going to be a group of people that is represented by every kindred, tribe, and nation. So you know that this story isn't for just one culture. We're not talking about Christianity because it's American. We're not talking about a story that's just for certain people in a certain place. We're not even talking about Israel as far as this goes. We're talking about the everlasting story that is for everybody in the world. And uh, when you go back to the book of Genesis, we know that, that mankind, they disregarded God's uh, instructions and they sinned against God. And it says in verse uh, uh, 7, Genesis 3, 7, And the eyes of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And so mankind, the first two men, they realized, you know, that, 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 that they had changed because they, they had sinned against God. They were now they're fallen. They were guilty. They saw things differently. They tried to cover themselves. But then in verse 21, it says, And unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make coats of skin and clothe them. And you say, well, that just is weird. Well, what was going on there is God was illustrating something to them. They knew they needed to be covered. And so in their self-efforts, they sought to come up with a way to do that. But God intervened and said, no, we're going to do this in the way that's, that, that's right before me. And he actually had to shed the blood of some animals, take some skins, and make some clothing for them at that time. 
What did he do? Well, he illustrated the old story. He illustrated uh, the, the salvation message. He showed that for us to be properly covered, there had to be the shedding of blood, and there had to be something that gave up his life. The Bible says that, there, that there's, there isn't, there's no salvation without the shedding of blood. There's no remission without the shedding of blood. And so this was an illustration of mankind. What do they try to do? Every human being wants to cover themselves by their own efforts. I'm not talking about clothing anymore. I'm talking about spiritually. You know, we want to try to work harder. We want to try to do better. We want to try to do, be more religious. We want to come to, you know, want to come to a church service. We want to, you know, treat our neighbor better. We need to come up with all the whole list that we're trying to, 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 we're trying to clothe ourselves. But we're always going to fall short of the righteous clothing of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he does? He says, hey, look, let me help you. Let me, through my shed blood, let me be your substitute. And let me offer you the robes of my righteousness as a covering. And that's the old, old story. It's all through the Bible. Let's go to Genesis 3.15. Same chapter, uh, verse 15. And after what we call the fall of, of the first two human beings who rebelled against God and, and, and sinned against him. It says, this is called the Proto-Evangelium. That's just a big word that means the first uh, declaration of the gospel. All right? The good news. This is the, the everlasting gospel that's being uh, given here. It says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Now, he's talking against, uh, about the serpent here, the one who tempted Adam and Eve. Uh, we know him as the devil. We know him as Satan. We know him by different terms in the Bible. And so he says, look, I'm going to make enemies between you and, and, and the, uh, uh, the human woman, between thy seed and her seed. In other words, uh, those that, that come after you and your spirit and in her seed or her descendants. Then it says this, her seed shall bruise thy head. That's interesting. There was going to be a descendant of Eve that was going to bruise the serpent's head. Now, the, 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 the term there means to crush. It means to, to give a mortal wound to. Now, what happened to the devil and his plan when the seed as of one of Eve, when he died on the cross. Well, that plan that Satan had to separate mankind from God forever, that was crushed. The devil's plan was crushed. It was a mortal wound was delivered to the wicked one at that time. And uh, it says at that time, well, it says, uh, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And, and yeah, it's going to look like at that time, it looked like the devil got the upper hand, right? He bruised Jesus, and uh, it seemed like uh, a, a very serious wound. I mean, Jesus died on the cross, but as with a bruise to the heel, well, we, we, we come back from that, right? We can come back from that. We heal from that, and so it was. Jesus came back from that blow that the, the devil delivered to him on the cross, and he resurrected that third day. He came back in power and dominion over the plan that the wicked one had. And in so doing, the crushing of, of the devil's head uh, was, was imminent. And, uh, and so the old, old story is all through the Bible. That's the gospel right there. That's the gospel as it was given to the first two human beings as it related to that spiritual warfare that continues uh, to this day. And, uh, and then, then in, in, uh, and let's go to Genesis chapter 6. This is the old, old story. It's enduring. It's pictured all through the Bible. In Genesis chapter 6, we have one of the most famous, most laughed at stories in the Bible. <laughs> Now, look, you know, I wouldn't be preaching if I didn't believe the Bible is true. So I've already sorted all this stuff out, all right? 
I can see where, you know, I can see where the, the evidence of that which we can observe on this planet shows that there was a worldwide flood at one, at, at one time. And we could talk about all those things at another time, but this is the story that's given here in Genesis chapter 6. And it says this, and we can believe this because we've seen it again today. It says in verse 5, and God saw. Now, God sees. You say, I can't see God, so I don't believe that. Well, God does see. And you can see evidences of God. You just maybe aren't admitting it. But God sees. And it says here, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. Hey, are we seeing that again a bit today? Again, you know, the prevalence of wickedness upon the earth, maybe. But God saw that at this time and said, uh, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually, talking to mankind. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And so he's looking at this, this, uh, this great experiment that, man ha- that God had to make mankind, after his image, to have a relationship with a good God. To say, we love God like he loves us. And we want to walk with him. We want to spend time with him. We want to be with him forever. Instead of what a man do, they rebelled against God and just, just went into all kinds of wickedness. All kinds of wickedness to the degree that God said, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. That was a terrible day for mankind. It says in verse 7, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for repent of me that I have made them. You think at that time, well, you know, God's arbitrary and he's, cool, he's cruel and he's mean and he's ruthless. But look at verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, do you know that God, and when he sees, he would much rather extend grace to us than judgment? You know, that's a Bible theme. God is gracious, and he is loving, and he is not willing that any should perish, but that everybody come to repentance. So what did he do? Well, Noah, a righteous man before him that walked with God and was a saved man, he preached for decades. He preached for decades as he was building an ark of deliverance from the flood. What do people do? They laughed at it. They said, ah, you know, that guy, that's never going to happen. You know, kind of like today, Jesus is never going to come back. There's never going to be a judgment in, the, in this world. Things are just going to go on forever the way they are. And this is, we're just going to make heaven on earth instead. This is our utopia right here. You know, we're going to go green and we're going to make everything nice and plush here. And we're just going to make it all a little, little heaven on earth. That's never going to happen because of the fallen nature of mankind. And you know it's not going to happen here on earth. We are self-destructing. We seem to just perpetuate the misery. What do we need? Well, there's a lot of good things here on earth, but, but ultimately Jesus is going to refresh all this. But what we need is Jesus, our ark of deliverance. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is a doorway. There is a way to be saved through Jesus Christ. And you say, well, I want to find my own doorway. Well, why? God provided a doorway for you. Just like he did it on that ark. It goes on to describe a very particular way that God said build that ark. And he said, you put a window there, and you put a doorway there, and you talk about how if anybody gets into that ark, they can be saved from this flood to come. There was a way. There was a way. Hey, look, it's, a, it's, a, it's the enduring story. It's all through the Bible. It's the gospel. It's the good news. None of it's arbitrary. None of it's like, you know, a, a God that's trying to be mean, that is just trying to slap people around and show his prowess. It's a God that should be feared. But it also says, hey, wouldn't you, wouldn't you rather have a personal relationship with me? I created you in my image. I made you to love. I made you to have a purpose and meaning. 
in your life. And so there we see another picture. In, in Exodus, uh, let's go to, go to Exodus chapter 12. Look, this is, uh, this is the enduring story all through the Bible. In Exodus chapter 12, and this is when uh, um, the Israelites were in Egypt, and they were captive there, and God was looking to, to, to spring them loose, to take them to, to uh, what's called uh, Canaan, the promised land. And uh, the Egyptian ruler would, wouldn't let them go. And it says uh, in verse 3, it says, Speak ye to all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if a household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall take count for the lamb. Now look at this. Your lamb shall be, what's it say? Without blemish. A male of the first year. He shall take it from the sheep and from the goats. He shall keep it up to the 14th day of the same month. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. So you have this lamb whose blood is going to be shed. They shall take the blood and strike it on the two sides of the post and the upper doors of the house therein, wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in the night, roasted with fire, unleavened bread. So there was a, 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 a kind of a ritual they would go through. And it says in verse 12, um, at the end of verse 11, it is the Lord's Passover. Verse 12, I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. Again, the gods of I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be for you for a token upon the house where, uh, where you are. Are you following this? And when I shall see the blood, that is the blood of those lambs, on the doorpost of the house, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So what was going on here? Well, once again, the everlasting message is being pictured here. You had a lamb that was without blemish. Are we without blemish? No, we're not. No, the Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. We got problems. We got issues. We have strayed from God. We have broken his law. We've sinned against the holy God. That's just the way it is. You know it, and I know it. Hey, do I have to go through the list of uh, things this morning from God's word that we've broken? I stand condemned and so do you. I'm the preacher. I probably stand more condemned than you do. But the thing of it is, is God pictured here a lamb without blemish, the blood on the doorpost. The judgment would pass over, would pass over that picture by the grace of God. Just like in our hearts when we apply the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, maybe we don't like that picture. Maybe we don't like to think about shed blood. But Jesus shed his perfect righteous blood. And when it's applied to our hearts, God looks at that and he says, that's an acceptable offering. In my holiness, in my righteousness, I will pass over you when it comes to death. Sure, we're going to die physically, but we're going to have to die spiritually. The Bible says that if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We don't have to be perished and to be separated from God forever because of that Passover lamb. Jesus is the perfect lamb that, was, that shed his blood for mankind. So it's an enduring message. In the, in the book of Numbers, we have the brass serpent, remember, that was put up on the post. He had this story. They're, in, they're out in the wilderness now, and these, 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 uh, these venomous serpents come into the camp. They'd complain and they'd murmur against God. 
God had, had taken care of them. He delivered them at the Red Sea. He provided them food every day. They're still whining, complaining. So what did God do? He let fiery serpents come into the camp. Venomous serpents. I don't know about you, but yeah, I, can, I, can, I can handle spiders to a certain degree. But to me, snakes are like creepy, especially if I know they can like inject me with venom. Okay, I really don't like them then. And, uh, but, uh, you know, so you can imagine being in camp here and you just hear, you know, say, you can say, hey, we like to camp. You know, Americans like to camp. So we're just going to pretend we're just camping here. And I know it's gone on for quite a while here, but, and, uh, but camping is getting a little old and we're getting tired of it. But we're still, we're okay. And then all of a sudden, all these, these venomous snakes start crawling all through the tents and all through the sleeping bag and everything else. I mean, you read the story, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but, they, you know, that started to happen, they start biting you. That'd be a bad day, wouldn't it? Seems like it. And, uh, and so what did, what did Moses do? Well, he put a brass serpent up on a stake. And he said, you know, when you look at that, you've been bit by that snake, but when you look at that, you will be healed. And he said, that's weird. That's kind of like, why did he do that? Again, it's the everlasting gospel. It's a picture again, right? There was sin in the camp. The serpent got in there, was biting, right? But it didn't have to stay that way. And it was explained in John chapter 3, right? Even as this, that serpent in the wilderness was lifted up, so the Son of Man is lifted up. And when we see that Son of Man, and we put our trust in that, we'll be healed, we'll be saved. It's the everlasting message. It's all through the Bible. It never goes out of style. That's why, you know, a book that was written thousands of years ago is still as relevant today as it ever will be. Try to do that with anything man-made a couple thousand years ago. You know, the rock wheel, that didn't, I mean, I guess it was pretty good at the time, right? But it's, you don't see a whole lot of those anymore, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, man, mankind, I mean, they're pretty ingenious. They're create. Look, any of the creative nature of mankind is just because they're made in the image of God. He's the ultimate creator. He makes that which endures forever. He is preparing a place for us. Do you think that all the impressive gadgets and gizmos we have, hey, look, this is, this is the technology back in the day. I mean, some of you who had all those tools, man, they were cutting-edge technology right there. Rip a board, get a log out of the water, plane, drill, you know, that, that was it. Now, now we'd say, no, those are antiquated. Do you think God's impressed with man's technology? All they're doing is stumbling onto the components which he put out there for them to discover. Which we should be saying, wow, look at God made that he's allowing for us to put together and use in this way. But instead, you know what man wants to do? They want to keep building the Tower of Babel over and over again. Look at what man is doing that is so impressive. We're going to make a name for ourselves. And all the companies, you notice all the technology companies, they have their name and their logo. What are they doing? They're making a name for themselves, Right? They're trying to market themselves and bring glory to themselves. And uh, there's nothing wrong with working hard and having a product, but you understand what I'm saying, the spirit of things. And so we go all through the Bible. Let's go to Job chapter 19. I'm just going to read one verse here because you have a man that has gone through a lot. Look, this, this man, Job, he's a picture of all of us here today that, are, that have problems in our life. We're struggling with something. We're bearing a burden. Maybe, maybe it's a physical infirmity. Maybe it's a financial problem. Maybe it's torn relationships. Whatever it is, you know, Job, had, he went through all of it. You say, well, you know, uh, I have a bad relationship in my life. Well, you know, Job's wife said, hey, why don't you, Job, why don't you curse God and die? 
You know, that's, a, that's not a healthy relationship. <laughs> uh, and uh, his health had gone south, and he lost everything financially. He's going through a really hard time. But you know one thing that, that he hadn't lost, we see here in Job 19, verse 25, he says this, Through all of this, I know that my Redeemer, what? Liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though my skin, now, uh, after my skin, worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. There will be a day after all these things are passed here in this world, all these problems I have to deal with because of my Redeemer, because of that everlasting message, because of the gospel, I will live forever with my God. I will have a new body that will no longer be subject to what the worms might do to it and all the rest of the deterioration. And, uh, you know, I mean, in a group this size, we got some, we got some physical infirmities here. We got some things, hey, look, there's a Christian. You're thinking, one day this is going to be repaired. I'm going to get one new one that's going to last forever, right? And hallelujah for that. Uh, but, uh, hey, you know, the, uh, the prophets, they thundered it out throughout the ages. They thundered it out. The prophets thundered out the message of redemption. And you would think this is from the New Testament. Listen to this. Isaiah 53. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. We look at Jesus and we say he was rejected by God. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And we would look at that and we'd think, man, that sounds like the New Testament. It goes on to say, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of our sins laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ who bore those for us. He took the consequences of our sin upon himself. He took all that weight upon our, himself. And he will bear your, the, your uh, iniquity and the consequences of that forever if you let him, if you believe in him. And so the, the, uh, the prophets preached it. You know, all the prophets. What, is, what did Jesus do? He talked with two guys on the way to Emmaus. And what did he do? He went to the prophets and he explained to them everything concerning himself. When you read the prophets, do you see that they're really preaching about Jesus ultimately? Who's the last Old Testament prophet? John the Baptist. He was the link, right? What did he say? Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. When he saw Jesus, and right then he handed the baton to Jesus Christ, the greatest prophet ever, right into the church age. And everything that was prophesied was fulfilled in what Jesus did. And everything that Jesus did is the foundation for what we are here today as the church of Jesus Christ. And so how does that work? Well, the everlasting message during this age is up to you and I. That's what the Bible teaches. It's supposed to perpetuate right now. It's supposed to keep going. It's supposed to be as Jesus left it. In, in, in Mark 16, 15, he said, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and do what? And preach the gospel to every creature. I had a good friend uh, this last week, uh, uh, a couple weeks ago. He said, I have, I have a friend that I grew up with. We rabble-rousers together. You know, we rode together. We got in all kinds of problems together. He says, since then, I've come to, I've come to God, and, and uh, I've accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. He said, I'm burdened for my friend. He lives, he lives in Vermont, and, and, and he, has, he has terminal illness. He's going to, you know, they give him a few weeks. He said, what should I do? And I said, well, you, you know what to do. He said, well, will you come with me? 
I was like, I don't know the guy. I don't know him. I mean, it's going to be you, and in the guy's eyes, it's going to be you're bringing like the, you know, the hired preacher in, right? You're going to bring some guy in that he doesn't even know that's going to you know, try to give him the gospel. I said, no, you know, to my friend, called him by name. I said, this is your assignment. Now I'll go with you through prayers, and you can call me anytime, and please tell me how it's going, but this is your assignment. This is your assignment. So I did. I prayed with him for three days. He went out to Vermont, saw his friend. Calls me on Monday. He's super excited, which right off, you know, makes me excited. He said, oh, you wouldn't believe it. God opened the way. I got to talk to my friend. And, yeah, we did a little reminiscing, and we did some of that. But we got right down to, 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 to the reality of the situation. And I told him that, you know, that as a point that a man wants to die, and then the judgment, and the wage of the sin is death, and, and that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I explained the gospel to him. I explained to him the everlasting story, and he accepted Jesus as his Savior. He said, my friend, I'm not worried about him anymore. Yeah, I hope he gets healed, but if he doesn't, he's healed forever. He's healed forever. And that was what it was all about right there. Because in your sphere of influence, you have some people that God wants you to reach that probably are for you to reach. You say, I'm going to call the preacher. Well, if you know enough to know why you're saved, and you have a friend that the preacher doesn't have, that's your assignment. I mean, if God puts them in my path and God tells me to do that, then I'll do it. I mean, I had an assignment yesterday, and I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm just, you know, uh, you have to be faithful to your assignments. And, uh, and so I'm refing basketball yesterday for a few games, and, and one of the guys gets talking to me, and he says, man, I'm, I don't think I'm going to ref a school ball this year. I said, why? He said, I'm just getting too old for that. I can't keep up anymore. And uh, he said, man, he said, uh, and I said something, yeah, no, I said age catches up with everything. He goes, well, I'm not looking forward to when it totally catches up to me. That was a total open door right there, a total open door. And it was, I didn't have to force the conversation. I didn't have to coerce things or anything. And, I, and, and so I just was able to, 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 to just give him the gospel, give him the answer to that, to that dilemma right there. None of us are going to make it out of here alive, <laughs> except for through the Lord Jesus Christ. Death catches all of us eventually. And, uh, and so uh, the enduring message. And let's go back to it uh, one more time to Revelation. Let's go back to Revelation. Let's go back to Revelation. Because you think after Jesus is out of here and the church has been taken, what we call the rapture, you know, that Jesus is done with mankind. No. God is trying to reach mankind until the last opportunity possible. Do you know how many times I've heard, listen, do you know how many times I've heard of situations where people were very close to death and God intervened in their life and brought the gospel to them right out of the wire? One of the greatest examples of that was on 9-11, there was testimonies of family members that said, yeah, you know, my, 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 uh, my, my relative died in one of those planes, but, and one of them was a flight attendant. They talked about how several people gave them religious pamphlets before they died. Well, how many so-called religions go around passing out you know, pamphlets? <laughs> if someone's burdened for you and they give you something to read from the Bible, it's normally a born-again Christian. Okay, It's either that or it couldn't be some of, some of the cults. 
It could be some of the cults. But I don't usually see them, you know, being burdened for people, like on an airplane, talking to them about the Lord, giving them the gospel track. And that just told me that even up to that time, God was working in those people's lives. He was bringing them truth right up to the last minute. And, uh, and God, will, God does that. And so in Revelation 11, we have two witnesses that, that God has preaching there. And then... Uh, um, and these could be another message at another time. In, in Revelation 7, there's 144,000 witnesses that are going to be there during the... During, look, you think of Revelation, it's, it's, it's bad, it's apocalyptic. There's all kinds of bad things going on. Yeah, but God still has the gospel there because he loves people and he wants to reach them. And we already saw the angel flying about Revelation 14.6. Let's read it one more time. Revelation 14.6, and then uh, we'll conclude. It says in Revelation 14, 6, And I saw another angel in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Right now, it's our job. When we're gone, the angels will pick up the slack to a certain degree. Right now, it's our job. But God says in Revelation 22, this is the last chapter of the Bible, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that hear us say, come. Let him that is a thirst, come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Do you know that that's the last message of the Bible right there? The last message of the Bible isn't God wants to punish you. The last message of the Bible isn't God now has destroyed everything. The last message of the Bible isn't doom and gloom. The last message of the Bible is, hey, if you have a need, could I just invite you to come to me? I love you. This is what this is all about. If you're thirsty, I got some water for you. I'm knocking at the door of your heart. Would you open that and would you let me come in and have a relationship with you? That's the main message of our church. Look, we're just normal people here. They needed this message just like everyone else did. The message of our church is we have a problem as human beings. We fall short of God's righteousness, but God loves us and he wants to have a personal relationship with us. And God has made every opportunity, every uh, thing being paid for and bought and covered for us to be able to do that through what Jesus Christ did for us. That's the everlasting message. It's not old-fashioned because it's not subject to passion. It's forever, and it's what every person needs. It's what every person needs. Let's stand together as we close, and uh, we'll have a... Uh, uh